0: Hello, and welcome to the 197th episode of From Alpha to Omega. Today is Tuesday, the 6th of June, 2023, and I'm your host, Tom O'Brien. Today we welcome back Donald to the show to talk about a paper he recently wrote for the new radical journal, The Black Lamp. The paper in question is called Modelling Organisations Using Viability-Guided Decision-Making. It's a very interesting paper which proposes a novel application of fairly recent developments in cybernetic theory to complex social systems. Donal, on top of working on the the Socialist Planning Book project, has just completed a Master's in System Engineering and Engineering Cybernetics in the Kazan National Research University over in Russia. So he is a bit of an expert in this stuff. I've included the links to the paper... In the show notes this week I have the new patrons Darren Poynton and Olivia Lovell to thank if you'd like to help support the show please head on over to the Patreon where you get access to all those patron only episodes and on the Discord server and if you'd like to find out more about the book project that Donald and myself are working on head on over to the theclasslesssocietyinmotion.com where you can find links and how to help support the project ok to the interview. So, Donald, you have written a paper for a new journal that is coming out. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what that journal is and the general overview of your paper? Yeah, so
1: the journal is called The Black Lamp, and basically people can check it out at The Black Lamp, sorry, just black-lamp.com, so people can check that out. It's basically a journal that is looking for ideas in terms of modeling from a left perspective. Um, How can modeling be used and why isn't it being used? In other words, why do we, on the left and broadly, fall back on a lot of the same kinds of ideas, the same kind of modes of action and organization and all this kind of stuff? Whether it works or not is a question that I think isn't, isn't raised very often. And if it is raised, maybe it's not raised in a kind of um, very thorough sense. So, yeah, this is the um, this is an attempt, I think, to the, the the website a very good attempt to bring that into clearer focus. People can write articles. I know they're accepting submissions because they are uh, reviewing mine at the moment, and hopefully, it will be published soon. And yet, it's uh, it seems like a really good project. So, I hope people will get involved.
0: So tell us a little bit then about what your article is and what it's going to be titled And
1: Sure. Uh, So my article is on an idea that I've been thinking about for quite a while called Viability Guided Decision Making. Basically, the the main uh, conception behind it is trying to think about modeling of organizations from a viability theory perspective, and we can get into what that means, but what I'm hoping is that doing that would be able to reveal for people in all kinds of maybe a political organization or a type of social movement applicable to many different kinds of situations, you know, what can you stand over as being effective? In what way would you be able to use your the data that we've accumulated? Because, you know, we've certainly accumulated at this stage years and years worth of data on, on different kinds of things. Well, People have tried to do and things that have not worked and fizzled out and other things that maybe offered some hope and you know all kinds of lots and lots of uh, practical data that we should be able to use that kind of systematically in order to uh, come to some kind of conclusions about about what kinds of modes of organisation could be the most uh, most effective from a, from a viability perspective.
0: So when you say from a viability perspective, do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So I start off in the article by
1: talking about the fact that Marx and also the political economists that came before had this kind of idea for dealing with an economy. Right, An economy, of course, is like a complicated, dynamic system. And uh, they were trying to, trying to frame it in a way that made sense. We have the same problem when we, when we think about modeling organizations. We say, well, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a difficult thing to model. It. It's kind of uh, has innumerable dynamics and states and possibilities of lots of different ways you could look at it. So what they did in terms of looking at economies was to think, think about it in terms of reproduction. So the idea of simple and expanded reproduction that, that you can frame a system like this in terms of its ability to reproduce itself. That you can, you can consider the, the essential things that are required so that the system basically can perform the functions that it performs over and over in a self generative way. And I think that's a really smart way to think about these kinds of systems. And so to, to talk about viability theory, well, later we had suddenly, I know you've talked about a lot, the viable system model, Stafford Beer, and this kind of cybernetics, management cybernetics, and they The people in that school took a a kind of similar idea in terms of um, these complicated systems. They said, well, you know, in the VSM, for example, it has five basic functions and functions have to be adequate to sort of allow the system to work. In other words, to reproduce the system. right?" And then viability theory specifically, some viability theorists have basically formalized that kind of thinking a bit more to say, well. You know, an evolutionary system, a system that is, that is of this kind. Basically, if you can, if you can identify those kind of states that are critical to its reproduction and you say those states have some kind of subset of evolutions from that state, you can ask the question whether they remain in a viability kernel or a viability space and um, st- stochastically or deterministically. And based on asking that question, you can get a pretty good idea uh, about the system and about its essential functioning, all of the questions that that throws up in terms of why it may not be viable uh, into the future, or why it may be, or why under different viability assumptions, it may turn out to be non-viable and so
0: on. So you're talking about like a viability kernel. Do you want to like give an example for people for how they can think about what a viability kernel is and how a system maintains itself within this space?
1: Right. So, I mean, in a very simple sense, a viability kernel is just a sort of conceptual space in which we say that a system is able to perform whatever kind of function it's performing, and it's able to do that in that conceptual space. So if you were to go outside of the viability kernel, we would say that the system is in a non-viable space. And what that means, basically, is that some of the parameters, some of the states by which we characterize the system, are not now capable of supporting that system's continual function. So uh, maybe an example, I think a very frequently cited example, is the idea of a river, you know, that's being, there's fishermen, they're fishing in the river, and, uh, you know, the, the river can be overfished, right? And that would be an example of sort of leaving the viability space where the fish stock no longer reproduces itself, and the whole system. Of the fishing industry is is rendered non-viable. That would be an example,
0: right? Or uh, you know, a fox in a city able to eat now for the bins or whatever. But then there's like you know a motorway or a freeway, which is like kind of if they if they start venturing across that, there's a good chance they're going to get mowed down by some car.
1: Right, and you can think of lots of other examples of like a kind of, you could say that's a kind of system that. In a, in a way kind of uh, reconstitutes itself through uh, some kind of dynamics that are there and that you can explain. And if those dynamics were changed in some way, then uh, you know the whole system could be in trouble. So yeah, that's the kind of idea.
0: Okay, so what is this book you were inspired by? You read a book. Can you tell us a little bit about that and the concepts yeah. in, in there?
1: Sure. So the, the book is called Viability Theory, New Directions by a guy called Obin and uh, and some others. Came out probably about ten years ago, I think. But the basic ideas in it are older. Pretty much, it's if people are if people are familiar with the cybernetic basic theory and and Stafford Beer kind of stuff, they will find a lot that's familiar in it. But it's a book with uh, quite a lot of mathematical proofs and things like that and applications, practical applications. So they apply it to robotics, they apply it to uh, economics a little bit, they apply it to different you know to different fields in order to kind of show its uh, usefulness and. And this is basically another kind of application that I'm looking at here. So, um, I can, I can explain a little bit about this. One of the central ideas, really the central idea that's raised in the book is that auto poetic control systems, in the words, systems that self-organize their own action in, in response to some environmental conditions have a control rule. And the control rule, it, it sort of posits is basically, uh, well, it's something they call the inertia principle. And the inertia principle says that the the controls that are applied by the agent don't change unless the viability of the agent is threatened. Unless the viability to continue, as we talked about, to reproduce itself is threatened.
0: I, then, I like drinking beer. I'm drinking 10 beers a night. And like after about 10 years, my liver starts going, listen, Tom, <laughs> yeah. you can't be doing that. You got to cop on. And so I got to stop. I got to change my inertial trajectory.
1: Right, exactly, and so there's a kind of uh, there's a, there's an element of perception to this, right? Because of course it, it is possible indeed to continue drinking and not change your trajectory, and that's the end of time. But but you know the the so the basic idea is that, and then the second part of that control rule is that when you do change what you're doing, that real systems minimize the rate of change to their controls. Okay, so for real systems, self organizing systems small and slow actions are chosen above both big and fast actions. So so just to recap that, so we have a two-part control rule. The first part is that up to some level of confidence, we think that taking some kind of action will solve our viability problem for us th- that we perceive, and then we minimize the change to our controls in order to solve it. And that's basically the theory that's put forward. And I think that's a pretty good working theory for real Real self organizing, uh, real cybernetic systems, real viable systems. If you think of, I'm sure some of the listeners have been in political organizations and things like that, listeners to your show, they'll, they'll be very familiar with that idea of the, what you just said, the inertial trajectory, right? The systems that rely on this inertia principle. So if you're in some organization, the organization will have developed certain things that it does to reconstitute itself. And that's what makes it a viable system. They have a meeting every Saturday. They sell the newspaper. They do X, Y, and Z that compensates, let's say, for example, for losing members to uh, attracting new members by reproducing their activities. And in that way, you kind of, you can build up a picture of, well, what is that? What does that mean? That inertial trajectory for this specific object, for this specific social object. We can look at that and we can say, yeah, it reproduces its finances in this way. It reproduces its membership in this way. It reproduces its support in this way and on and on. And you can you can build a picture of that, and that's what I've been trying to do. Here.
0: So these general rules that the normal functioning control rules that the system operates in this they are called. Am I right to say these are called the regulons?
1: Right. So in the in the book, what he calls them is he calls it the constant regulon, or U zero is the is the definition he gives to it. So for him, the constant regulon is that action or group of actions by which the system does go on its trajectory through this state space, through the space of uh, possible outcomes or possible conditions, possible uh, situations. And so it navigates its environment using this. In the case of an organization, for sure, it would be a collection of sort of Actions that are well within the capability of the organization, in, in a sense, it's comfort zone in, in the sense of that it has grown accustomed to, for one reason or another, reproducing itself in this specific way, it's sort of characteristic of this organization. That's if you were to apply this to organizations, you can apply it to different things. So that's the first thing. yeah. So that's the first thing to kind of get in your head, this idea of an inertial trajectory, as we call it. And then the second thing he, he, he makes reference to at the same time is something called the critical phase. You now, the critical phase happens when, or just as we talked about in different situations like fishing in the river, there's a critical phase when you reach the perceived limits of the viability kernel. And when you reach those perceived limits, you take what I simply call a regular action. He calls, I think, uh, an action in the critical, critical phase. But basically, this is a sort of emergency action in a sense. He calls it a crisis situation. Maybe it's not so dramatic as a crisis, but maybe it's... Still, a perceived threat to viability in some sense, and the action is basically what what we're talking about is doing something that changes the inertial trajectory. So you've modified the inertial trajectory in such a way that you hope to maintain viability. But having done that, you've changed your system. You've changed how it works and how it reproduces itself.
0: So how do we how do we use this insight? How do we put it to a kind of practical use? What what is how do they propose implementing this concept
1: well they have some they had they they do have some implementations of this and the implementations they have are very are are very kind of tight implementations in the sense that they are sticking to a, a very strict implementation of this kind of control law where you have a transition from one state to another and the control law is applied in a very kind of in a way that can be we would say analytically modeled you know so it's, it's, can be mathematically modeled and it's very quite maybe sometimes complicated analytical models but for for certain types of simple systems you can analytically model and that's what they're trying to do because they're trying to be mathematically rigorous what i'm doing so when you say
0: analytically so they're taking like a like a simple system like a robot picking up a ball and moving or something like this and so they can put all the mathematics into it and they can say what happens if we Hit the robot arm from the right-hand side. We can model that, and we can solve it explicitly.
1: Yeah, that's what they're looking to do with that. You know, they're 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 looking to have some kind of explicit formulations. What what I'm trying to do is something uh, that's a bit more difficult, because when we talk about uh, not a bit more difficult, sorry, what they're doing is technically very difficult. But what, what I'm trying to do is something a little bit different, which is to say, with these kind of complicated systems. It can be a numerical model can be the, the way to go rather than an analytical model in the sense of what we would like to do is to create, is to use this general formulation that they've made in order to extract some useful information about our system and and what we can do there.
0: So how do you propose? What, what How do we model then? How do we model our, our system as opposed to creating a big uh, mathematical model of some kind of more more laboratory type control system right so
1: that's this gets into the sort of little demo that i i write in the paper so you can make something called a markov decision process and i don't want to go too deeply into into that because that's a, a very interesting field in itself but it would take a, a maybe a long time to explain and by the time we would get to the end of that we'd have lost our focus here basically the idea of a Markov decision process and in a very high level sense is that it's 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 a method of modeling a process which has some kind of deterministic or stochastic transition between states and it's sort of goal oriented in the sense that the the agent receives a reward for doing something that you would like it to do or a cost so there's an objective function and it receives some kind of cost or, or reward for for achieving some kind of um uh, goal so this is what they call reinforcement learning this is one of the main Ideas here, where you say, "Okay, we." For example, you would like a robot to find its way out of a maze. It will the Markov decision process will iterate through many different possibilities. Uh, When it finds its way out of the maze, it will it will give a reward for that, so that the robot can learn. It can learn how to uh, how to achieve the the goal. So that's that's all I'll, I'll say about it. But our use for it here would be to say, "Okay." The states of our system that we could be interested in would be like the ability of the system to reproduce itself in these different ways. Okay. So I say viability states right, or reproduction states, whatever way you want to say it, that let's say we have the ability of this, of let's say an organization to reproduce itself financially. Well, it might have certain ways in which it does raise funds, for example, it might have donations, it might have uh, paper sales and it might have different ways. and what we do is by by looking at that, we're able to build up a picture of what the system does, and we can make a sort of determination, which is subjective, about what viability means to this organisation. So there's a very key point about that. Before going any further, that I think it was a Stafford Beer saying that that the pur- the purpose of a system is what it does. In, th- in that sense, when we talk about viability, we're saying, well, what does viability mean? It's not what the, for example, organization says that it does or says that what, what makes it viable. You know, it might have very grandiose things that it says it does. But what it actually does and what actually reproduces is month after month, year after year. And so that's the kind of analysis we want to make. The Marco decision process gives us a method using states and actions and rewards to make a model of what we think the system actually does And what the viability limits of the system are so that, when I say viability limits, I mean those limits which would not anymore allow the system to reproduce itself. And so we can make a model like that and we can say, you know, for example, there can be events, there can be disruptions, as we say, that that can happen, which would threaten the viability of the system, right? So for example, okay. Uh, Just a practical example, the financial reproduction of the system depends on 10 guys who sell newspapers every week. And what would happen if five of them resigned? You know, that's the kind of thing you can look at pretty clearly and you can kind of, you can make some kind of speculative, but fact based uh, assertion
0: about it. Right. So you you can can see, oh, we won't be able to hire the hall to have our weekly meetings. You know we won't be able to buy the posters that we hand out or the placards at the rallies we become less visible our organization shrinks it shrinks to critical level and then it falls apart for example
1: for example yeah exactly so that's the kind of you know even starting simple you just take the main important things that the organization does how it reproduces itself what the viability limits you think are so in other words uh, in terms of organizational viability, maybe renting that hall is the kind of linchpin of the organization in that area. It has its weekly or monthly meeting there, and if it were not able to do that, that would render it unable to to reproduce its activities in general you know for example
0: so we modeled so this idea so far that we've modeled the existing the existing organization the existing type of things it does to control its itself to keep itself within the viability kernel. So it has this initial trajectory. So we can imagine this like we have some like squiggly shape that is the uh, viability space. I'll I'll put a picture of this on the graphic for the episode so that people want to have a look. So we have an initial trajectory. Say we're just going in a straight line, say our trajectory, and we're going to hit the boundary. What happens then?
1: Okay, so this is where we come back in with our control rule that we mentioned before, and and this kind of critical idea that That viability theory raises that in the use of viability theory we say that there's this double sort of principle of the inertia uh, idea so you have this inertial trajectory as you said then you're looking to take some kind of action which will solve the problem perhaps up to a given level of confidence solve the perceived problem and also provided that you have this kind of confidence in this action you want to minimize the rate of change to the controls so maybe there's Multiple actions, which could, which you can, which you perceive would solve the problem. But the one you choose, so you actually identify a particular action is the one with the minimal rate of change to the controls. Now, how do I, I sort of interpret that in my own way here as being the difficulty of actions. So as an analog to the magnitude of control change, I say, right, the difficulty of the actions for an organization would be we, we actually don't care why it's difficult, only that it is. So it might be difficult because it's in real resource terms, very expensive and would be difficult for the organization to do. It might also be difficult because it presents a political or ideological problem, or organizational problem. It might be something that people just don't want to do. In any case, it's difficult. You could say, you know, you can imagine different scenarios where that could be the case. Uh, I'll give you uh, one that was, we, we had discussed before. I know about Jeremy Corbyn's, uh, Leadership of the UK Labour Party, and uh, you know, uh, there's a there's a pretty good chance he could have at least taken the sting out of uh, the constant uh, anti-Semitism allegations and attacks that were coming on him by saying, "Look, I don't care about the Palestinian people. Uh, you know, abandon them completely, and uh, uh, come out with a solid declaration of support for the, for Israel and for Israeli government policy." And then uh, that would have, uh, you know, uh, that could have well been a sort of regulon, uh in that case but it would be something that would be very difficult for a lifelong uh, supporter of, of the Palestinians to do. So uh, that's just an example, but you can imagine many, many examples.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking my examples in my head when we're talking is about like, you know, how many times in like, say, Irish political history, a lot of times like small Republican parties, like uh, Rob Banks was was one that was done. You know, like the Workers' Party apparently did a massive one in Waterford in like the 90s. But I was thinking like, you know, like if you're thinking of a small truck group, you know, operating in Dublin, you know, doing a bank job to get funds necessary to do it, it would never be something that they could, would be a a regulon to help them out of, say, a financial difficulty.
1: Right. But from the specific political background and all of the baggage that comes with that from, for the, for the Republican groups in Ireland, you know, that was, that would be a a perfectly reasonable regulon. So yeah, exactly. That's the kind of point I'm trying to make that a lot of this is about perception it's not just about real resource constraints it's actually about what they would do as well as what they could do
0: okay so so once we have a, a regulon that it can, that can be achieved that that can be agreed upon the system itself agrees upon a a, a new uh, regulon a new thing within their basket of actions to help them maintain viability we see then that they essentially veer off away from the you know the danger area of their viability space back in, so they now have a new initial trajectory, inertial trajectory. So their trajectory changes within this viability space,
1: right? And uh, it should be noted that uh, that there's that there's that there's a bit of dynamics going on there when you consider that. So <clears throat> there are some feedbacks that we need to take account of, and we can in in this kind of market decision process methodology. You know. Uh, the first thing to say is that the difficulty of the actions that, as I've described them can change, you know, so if certain types of actions are taken in order to solve viability problems, it may introduce new possibilities because the difficulty of previously out of reach actions become uh, much more realistic. So if you have, for example, a new, you could take the finance example again, or you could take other examples about a new, uh, stronger, better method of reproduction. That sort of uh, helps, in some sense, to reproduce the, the organization in a way that can allow new opportunities to uh, to open up, where the difficulty level, perceived difficulty level of doing different things, now changes. You know, p- potentially it falls. What if the option now becomes easier in light of the previous action that was taken, and in light of the new uh, reproduction capability of the organization, uh, or it could rise. You know, uh, something could become more difficult because of an action that you take. And so you can build in these dynamics into the, into the process. And, you know, it's not as complicated as maybe I'm making it sound. It's, it's as simple as, you know, if you have, you can open a new office if you have the money to do it. And if you have the money to do it, it's because you did something to allow the organization to generate money, for example.
0: Right. And if you have a new office, then you get 200 new members and then your organization is, is bigger and healthier and maintains itself within its viability space and so on and so forth. Right. The new inertial trajectories that you take on, it, it, it introduces like these new regalons. It may change the order of which ones are the are easiest to maintain or which are the most beneficial. So all within our kind of model that we have, we model modeled our, our, our organization. You know, we have a few little probabilities. We go this way, we go that way. And then we have our objective function, which tells us, yeah, we prefer to go this way than that way. And we can train the system. We can have a look and analyze. What would be the likely outcome, say, for our little organization if we were to do certain actions? Or for us also to understand what would we need to do if these things were to happen? How could we defend ourselves from certain attacks or certain you know, random occurrences in the, in the actual state space?
1: Yeah, so the kind of nice thing about this whole methodology is that the viability theory gives us this control rule. And so the control action that we choose, that we do choose, is actually chosen for us through this. It's, as I said, the, uh, you're talking about the one that, all of the options available that could solve the viability problem that minimizes the rate of change. So that's quite kind of a, or minimizes the difficulty in the context that I put it in here. And so that kind of makes it into a nice kind of thing where we don't have to worry about choosing specific control actions. What we do have to worry about is thinking about the range of potential actions that are available. So we have to say, are the regulons, the range of control actions that are there? Are, are they reasonable? Our, our model of the object itself has to be, has to be reasonable and of its environment, as you say, of the perturbations that can happen. That has to be reasonable. And if all of that is there, then you've got some kind of reasonably good model. Now, the other thing I wanted to say was that when this happens, when the inertial trajectory is changed by the regulons, yeah, you also have to reflect on this conception of sort of resilience or experience. So, the, the organization, by taking certain actions, can then limit the future impact of disruptive events. In other words, if your organization has a very good reproduction of, uh, let's say, its engagement with the public through media and you've got a very good systems to handle that, it can mean that maybe a big media attack on the organization uh, is blunted to a great extent because you have such a strong public voice that you're able to get your message out there. And you're much less susceptible to, to disruptions of that kind, just for example. So the inertial trajectory itself is modified through this. So you've got the, sort of a double feedback to put it all in, in a nutshell. You've got a, a feedback on the inertial trajectory itself, and you've got a feedback on the actions that are taken in terms of their difficulty. See this kind of ranking of difficulty of actions changes in light of the actions that you've taken already.
0: Right. So it's highly dynamic. So. There is a sense in which we've been discussing so far that it seems like we're being, on some level, quite reactive too. As in how we're modeling it, is in that like, you know, we veer along our initial trajectory until we hit danger, and then we go bump, and we change our direction, we go over here, and so on and so forth. That the organism keeps basically chundering along until it gets into trouble, and then reorients itself. Now, how do we change this kind of concept from one of essentially? kind of a reactive maintenance of viability towards say a more dynamic you know maybe perhaps growth or a proactive use of these concepts
1: so that's that's the kind that's where I end the article kind of make a few suggestions about that so at the beginning I uh, I, I said that the early political economists and Marx had this idea of simple and expanded reproduction and that by making this kind of model, what we would hope to do is make a kind of simple reproduction model of the system. You can say, how does the system trundle along in general? And, you know, when, when we say trundle along, by the way, it might very well be the case that the system is heading towards non viability. It just happens that on every transition it takes, it remains viable for a long time. And if you were to plot that out over, over 10 years, you would see that it ends, it, you know, it, it would be getting smaller and smaller, for example. So when, when we say, how does it trundle along in general? And then what kinds of regulatory actions would it take as it's, as we, as we model it now in the event of different disruptions? So that's our sort of simple reproduction. And then we, to answer your question, you say, well, how could that, how is, how is that useful in the sense that that doesn't give us anything proactive to do? Because all we've done is we've kind of made something that we think explains the system in a way and explains the development of the system. And the next step, as I would see in that, is to recast what we think of in terms of viability. So, at the moment, we think of in terms of viability as the system actually exists and what it actually does and how it reproduces itself, and that's what viability is to that system. Even if it means, even if the system is heading towards non-viability over the long term, what viability means to that system may be to be a very small organization, maybe which holds a particular position and you know, and it's happy with that. It has its niche. And that's what viability is to that system. But if we want to talk about the trajectory of the system, if we want to talk about proactively, let's say building the system, or in the Marxist uh, terms, expanded reproduction of the system, what we can say is, okay, let's run our model again, but this time make a higher threshold for viability so that what would happen with our current, probably with our current range of of Regulon control actions that are available, would be that the organization would appear to be non-viable according to this higher threshold of viability and so what we would look to do is to think about different ranges of regulons which would be able to enter in we would think about modifications to the environment that the organization is in and uh, things of this nature so that when we run the, so that as we develop this sort of expanded reproduction model we would look to say, how could we make that happen? How could we make it so that the system would reproduce itself in these different respects, organizationally in membership, in finances, at this higher
0: level? So am I right to say that if we were to kind of like theorise about what that would mean, that instead of saying, we're just talking about simple reproduction, we're just talking about maintaining an organisation of the same size, that we're saying, right, we want to grow 1% every year, say, okay. And what that would mean is that our viability space, our kernel, a viability kernel, certain in three dimensions, in two dimensions, a certain area, say, that we would actually be defining because we were changing our viability criteria. What we're actually doing is we're reducing the viability kernel to a smaller space, such that we would have to make reg- regulatory controls much quicker. So instead of having like a big balloon where we can float around within and only hitting the sides every once every like ten seconds before we need to change our direction, that the balloon gets shrinked to like, you know, the size of a you know an apple or something. And now we're making more regulatory changes to our our inertial inertial trajectory more frequent. So it it, it actually what actual proactive management is, is in essence a shrinking of our viability space. Well, exactly.
1: Um it's a shrinking of a particular part of it too. I mean, at least in the way that I've drawn it and the way that I imagine it as being a sort of where you've got in, in, according to any of the criteria, according to any of the dimensions of the viability space, you might have everything from very poor to very good. And in the article, I make this in like five, just like very simple, like very, very poor, poor, okay, good and very good. We could have them in like 40 categories making uh, make it more sensitive, have a lot more states and a lot more of inputs to those states. But the idea would be that the part of the viability kernel that gets cut off then in that sense would be the the parts that previously were tolerable, maybe what you previously would have described as characteristics of an okay viability uh, reproduction ability, you would now describe those as poor. And what you previously would have described as good, you now describe as okay. So it's kind of like the bottom part gets cut off and now you regard... Uh, uh, again, something that previously was tolerable you now regard as intolerable, and therefore your model, your market decision process would show that that, that counts as as non-viable, and therefore you have to go back to the drawing board and, and see what kind of new regulations
0: you could introduce. So let's let's think of a, like a like the kind of prototypical you know truck group that survives that essentially seems to survive to maintain one or two intellectuals in a in a job. And pay their, pay their bills. And to the extent that those guys get old and then die, that the organizations can tend to die with their charismatic leader or, or whatever that, that, that viability criteria would be seen, you know, objectively to an outsider would look and say, well, that's not really a long term viable. It's only, vi- it's only viable with respect to like this one person that to redefine the, the viability in a more positive way if we were to even say that the politics of a troth group would be actually positive or whatever that they would require absolutely different and new regalons to and they would need to expand it to such an extent that it could become an actual political actor and not for example just a some kind of larping group for for wannabe uh, communist revolutionaries <laughs> Well, I think this is
1: actually <clears throat> this is the uh, this is the the power of these kinds of modeling efforts and the reason that I wrote this for the black map because what it what it actually forces us to do, maybe more importantly than anything else, is to confront the question of what viability actually means for us when we're talking about this organization. And so if you seriously do it, if you apply something like this and model it, you might be uh, very unhappy with what you find. You might say, okay, what viability actually means to this organization, which maybe we we don't want this to be the case, but maybe it's the case anyway. What it actually means is just to reproduce itself at a very low level and the regulants we have in place are the ones that achieve this. And there's no, uh, you know, maybe it's been doing the same thing for 20 years and that's what it does, that's what the system does. So then what you would actually need in terms of what you're saying to change the system is not even so much the new regulants, that kind of comes secondly when you've already accepted the premise, it's really what you need to say is what is our conception of
0: viability going to be here, right? And the modeling, the modeling of the the kind of simple reproduction of it, will will actually lay things out and make them quite plain what actually what actually is the viability, what what are we determining viability for the actual social organism?
1: Exactly. And look, uh, as I said before, in terms of the data that's available, there's a wealth of data available, so. At the, at the end of the article, I suggest you know that if we were really, to, if somebody was really to do this properly, what you would have is, could be something like a, what's called a hierarchical market decision process, where at the bottom level, you've got ones which basically what they do is they just, you add in all of the information that you've got to them, all of the pertinent information. And then there's a certain problem with market decision process that it, you have to save on the amount of states that you use because it can get grows exponentially, sort of uh, the complexity of the problem. So what you would be able to do basically is with a hierarchical system is to basically divide this problem up in such a way that you've got the basic information that we have a wealth of in terms of how organizations work, uh, what they do in response to different kind of crises, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you put that in at the basic level and then at this higher level, you are able to show the reproduction states and show uh, how they how they reproduce themselves over time. Now, that, that's one way. And then there's another possibility as well, which is something called deep reinforcement learning, and that uses neural networks. But basically, for the same purpose, uh, you're looking to represent a whole lot of, get a whole lot of data into your model, which can then be used to tell you something interesting. But there is, there is an, an interesting, uh, possibly, conversation to be had as to, you know, whether it's kind of idealistic in itself to think about that, just, that people can just sit down and sort of analyze a system and say, okay, look, this is what we would need to do in order for the system to reproduce itself according to these different criteria or like let's just you know you can imagine people sitting down and saying let's just uh, reassess what we mean by the viability of our system That actually that's very kind of uh, a very difficult thing to propose because the, the viable system exists as it does for a reason because the people that make it up are basically you know usually are committed not only to the organization but to its processes you know so like you mentioned Trotsky's groups and that's just one example but yeah sure they have like I'm sure I've never been a member of one but I can imagine they have like certain processes that they are committed to and that's what they that's what they do and that's how they they perceive that as very important to a part of of what they are so it's very hard to tell people like oh no you should just change all that
0: Right, yeah, the ritualistic element, but also aside the the kind of the the neurological basis of these things. I remember met a psychiatrist guy and he was telling me that, you know, to change a habit, you have to do it, I think, 60 days in a row. You have to, so if you don't want to bite your nails, say, you have to not bite your nails for like 60 days in a row. And on average, if you break off like once or twice, if you break off and just after 27 days by accident and you break it, well, you're. Neurologically, you're kind of back to square one. That the kind of neural networks that form, that you know, that for you, say you you associate biting your nails say with stress relief or something, right? And that the the network the 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 connection between your neurons is extremely strong. Okay, so it actually takes a lot more energy to to map out a new strong neural network. So your brain is always trying to find like the the least energy intensive solution to certain problems. So if you want to break it, right, you're going to have to reinforce this for ages, such that like not biting my nails and doing something different for stress is as energy efficient as biting your nails. And, you know, so all of these things come into the difficulty of these organizations, not just being able to be self-aware. They may be self-aware, right? But, But the energy in changing themselves like, even, like, if you think about it in this terminology we're talking about, like, to actually sit down and do the viability analysis, that might be a regalon that is too difficult for the actual system.
1: Yeah, totally, totally, yeah. I think that's uh, that's a really good point. So, so you know, it, it may only be, in that sense, it may actually be, you know, non-applicable to a lot of systems simply because, you know, built into this is uh, too high a level of difficulty, which speaks maybe to, maybe speaks something in favor of the of the method we're talking about here because that, that, that itself can be modeled. This
0: right. Yeah. The other thing is as well, is like, people probably might listen to this and they might think, Jesus Christ, these guys want us to sit down and do some machine learning and set, build a Markov, what do they call them? Uh, what's the Markov chain? Not a Markov chain, but a Markov decision, uh, decision process, yeah. decision process. And like, but like in reality, like you, you don't actually have to do the sit down and math it all out. But like, you could just do it, you know, in a kind of a, a logical way. You could sit down and think, of, talk about what are the problems? Oh, what could we do to do that? Because that's kind of what happens in real life, successful, you know, expanded reproduction organizations or whatever. They're constantly looking to like, oh, what's a negative in our organization? What, how could we do a positive thing? So it's like this is a kind of like a way of somewhat maybe like formalizing it within viability theory. But it you know, you could you could take aspects of this without throwing uh, you know the actual building a model in in, you know, or something, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. So like I mean it's the whole point of this, the whole point of viability hearing and management cybernetics before it is to say, you know, okay, how do, how do, how does a real system actually work? And obviously a real system does a viable system is viable in some sense and therefore, you know, it does actually reproduce itself. So it's not necessary to make a model of something. Uh, which, which works in order for that thing to work. The only, the only, uh, utility here in making a model of a viable system is to get a clearer understanding of, of, of how it works. And then to be able to say, okay, well, let, let's assume that we had a more ambitious conception of how, of how we would do whatever we're doing. Uh, what would that imply in terms of, in terms of the dynamics? And you can make some kind of, you know, I mean, it's all simple stuff, a simple model to say like, okay, this, this would probably end badly or else, we would have to make our system more robust in certain ways if we were to try to, you know, if we were to try to do X, Y, or Z. So it's basically just a way of formalizing this and a way of thinking about it. But yeah, one hundred percent, you could you can easily do a lot of good by just sitting down and just engaging with the topic seriously of what are we doing, how do we reproduce what we do, and uh, if we were going to reproduce what we do at a, at a higher level, uh, in some sense, what would that imply?
0: Right. And it's the type of thing like that, if you're just working in like uh, general business, it's the type of thing they do quite frequently. You know, at least once a year, they'll say, "Okay, we've got to make our targets for next year. Like, how are we going to meet those targets? What do we have to do? How do we plan going forward? The type of things that like in capitalist firms, you know, are, are, are literally necessary because expanded reproduction is is viability. Like, you know, for most firms, like if you stand still, you're 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 essentially dead. But uh, for political organizations, and certainly in our time, left, radical, commie, anarchist, whatever organizations, this type of analysis is extremely lacking. Even to the extent that, like, if we look at like what our left wing publishing houses, you know, we're writing a book or whatever. We look at the type of books they write. A lot of the time, looking at the big Marxist ones, and anarchist ones, nearly all these kind of theory books, <laughs> not books that actually appeal to like just general people, you know. So, like, you know, it, it, the, the actual our understanding of like viability is, is so messed up and so unanalyzed. You know, it's just kind of. But if we take
1: viability theory and cybernetics, if we take it seriously, then we have to say there's a, re- you know, there's a kind of reason why, why the left reproduces itself in, in in certain countries as it does, and those reasons are bound up with with the history and and everything else. And but so if if we are, if left wing intellectuals, let's say, are producing certain kinds of material, there's a reason for that too, you know, and that's all to do, that's bound up with how, it, how left wing intellectuals reproduce themselves and how, and how uh, any of us that are involved in political organizations are sort of divorced from a practical application of theory that, you know, the reason there's not lots of maybe theoretical works coming out of political organisations on the left is because because that kind of uh, those kinds of questions aren't coming up in the course of the activities uh, that that organisation undertakes
0: If you'd like to help fund the book that Donald and myself are writing about Communist Economic Planning, please head over to the website the Classless where you can donate to our fund to help us get this book out in a finite time. Everybody who donates will get a signed copy of the book when it's released. So head on over there today and help us with this really important project. This show is a member of the Emancipation Network, a Marxist podcast and research collective. Make sure to check out our Network Sister podcasts, General Intellect Unit, Jumpsuit Utopia, Mortal Science and Swampside Chats. And if you'd like to help out the show, please remember to head over to Patreon and throw me a few commie dollar. On this episode, you heard the theme tune The Order of the Pharaonic Jesters and Night of the Purple Moon by Sun Ra and his orchestra. Thank you for listening, and please join me for the next episode of From Alpha to Omega.